Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I move to the old town with goals down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Say look at me now. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the All-22 Podcast, the official podcast of the All-22 Fantasy Football Platform. It is the only fantasy football game with 53-man rosters, including offensive linemen, where you get to choose from personal packages and have access to PFF grading and advanced statistics to make decisions each week. Ray, we are one week away. We're one week from the Super Bowl, which means it's officially draft season, right? Draft season is in full swing now. I am super excited. I think we have probably our most fun episode of the year going on right right now. How do you feel about Always it? Always is. I love it. You know, the the football season is the pinnacle, right? But just below football season is draft season. It doesn't get much better than this. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to this episode uh, each year. Been looking forward to this one for a while. So yeah, this is this is peak draft season. Super Bowl's over. It's behind us. Time to just sit and grind and, and look at all these fun prospects that will shape the NFL of tomorrow. Let's let's now just welcome in everybody that is joining audio only because you, you know we're going to cut this up. If you are joining audio only, you can see the first half of this episode on YouTube where we go through the the top six quarterbacks. We do a quick film study on each and just kind of show you why we think they are in that top six conversation. But now we are going to jump into more of the conversation about where we think these people rank, where we think they should go, comps, all of that good stuff. And since we've been teasing Caleb Williams and talking, we basically already blew his spot in this ranking. So why don't we just start number one and we'll go backwards here and talk about Caleb Williams. I think, again, we both clearly have him as our number one quarterback. Um, My comp for him has been and still is that Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers hybrid where he is this quick throwing, can throw at any arm angle, can throw as far downfield as needed to be, has that flick of the wrist throw like Aaron Rodgers, is not this oversized athlete, but is also not you know terribly small like an Aaron Rodgers. Um, and for me, it's just obvious that his projected range is one, right? Like there is no other spot that you draft an athlete like this. He is the number one quarterback in this draft class, which means he should be taken one overall. And uh, my ideal landing spot for him is Washington. So it's not the Bears. I think if Washington can figure out a situation where they can trade up and get Caleb Williams, I think they have to do it. I picture that offense with the money they have. You go with Terry McLaurin, you have Dotson. You have a decent offensive line that you can beef up in this draft. All the pieces are there for this to be a successful system. You have a new coach, right? So new coach wants the new quarterback. I think my concern about him going to the Bears has been and always will be that the coaching staff is just unstable, and I expect them to fire the coach after this next season unless Caleb Williams is that special where he can just elevate everything so far that they make the playoffs in year one. But if not, I, I expect that coaching staff to change. So Washington would be my pick there. But um, Ray, I want to hear what you have. What's your comp? Where do you have them going? And where's your landing spot? Yeah, I'm going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, but really the comp is it's Aaron Rodgers, like you mentioned. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say Mahomes, but 
he does the Mahomes things in college, right? Uh, when it comes to the the plays on the move, um, but really the comp is is Aaron Rodgers. He's not this next level um, scrambler or, or really fast athlete, let's say, because he does extend plays very well uh, and can pick up chunks with his legs. Um, but he's not Jaden Daniels in that aspect, right? That's he's not that, and he is a bit. He's a level above someone like Rogers when it comes to gaining yards, and, and we're probably talking more younger Rogers, right, um, with his legs and someone like that. But the the flick of the wrist, the way the ball flies off his hand, um, the processing, it really does remind me of Aaron Rodgers more than anyone else. And again, always have to put the disclaimer out there when you do this. That doesn't mean he's going to have as good of a career as Aaron Rodgers, right? Especially when we talk about quarterbacks that there's so many factors that go into their ultimate success or lack thereof in the league that just because physically they might compare to someone uh, in their game doesn't mean they're going to end up having that type of career, right? So with that all said, I really see Aaron Rodgers. And if I were to try to put another name in there, I feel like I'd be, I'd be forcing that other name in there. So to me, it's Rodgers. Um, understand the whole fit with the, with the commanders there, but I just don't see a scenario where he doesn't go one to the Bears. I don't think the Bears trade out of that pick. So for me, him and DJ Moore would be fun to watch. I, I kind of like the the Bears offensive line a bit more than you do because I like Braxton Jones. I like uh, I think you like Braxton Jones too, but I like Darnell Wright even if I do like him inside more than at some at a place like right tackle. But um, I like some of the pieces there, and I think with someone like Caleb Williams, we saw it with Trevor Lawrence. Even if there is a coaching change that eventually takes place there in Chicago, I think this is the type of talent that can overcome that the way Trevor Lawrence has, even if he hasn't necessarily been a top five quarterback in the league thus far, like some may have predicted. Um, you know, he's, he's in that top 12 plus conversation there. Um, I think Caleb is that type too, where a coaching change won't ruin his prospects like it has for other first round talents who could have had success in the league, but because of that sort of upheaval did not. Okay. Well, I think the conversation gets interesting with Caleb, not where he ranks in this draft group, because I think he is the clear consensus number one, but it really is where he ranks in. We're going to do it in the all 22 era, which is 2020 to 2024. And I want you to start it off because I think you have him a bit higher than I do. Well, yeah, because you can't have him higher than I do, which is number one. Um, I did have him edging out Trevor. Trevor is my uh, second quarterback in the All-22 era, but uh, basically just to name my top four to give you an idea was Caleb Williams, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Bryce Young. Again, this is how we felt about them as prospects coming into the league, not taking anything into account as to what they've done or haven't done once they came into the NFL, nor are we taking into account their fit in the league as far as what team they went to. It's literally just how we felt about them as a pure prospect heading into the league. So I had Caleb number one. Uh, I think Caleb and Trevor are the top two prospects since Andrew Luck. Um, and I just had because of that extra sort of, I think the arm is a bit livelier with with Caleb and he has just that extra, I don't know if twitch is the right word, but that I'll just say twitch, I guess, and just kind of light on his feetness uh, of a quarterback to extend plays a bit more and that added dimension to his game uh, when it comes to the improv and everything else that goes into it. I have him ed edging Trevor in that aspect. And that's why, despite not having the prototypical uh, size and profile, of uh, the, you know, prototype quarterback, I had him edging Trevor as a pure prospect. Gotcha. So this is where, again, like people's 
how what they value differentiates and makes these lists different because I have him at six. So I have it Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Herbert, Stroud, Williams. And I really liked Stroud last year. If you go back and listen to my takes on Stroud, I thought he was this really refined passer and something that I don't think any other quarterback besides Caleb does in this draft is he could hit any any spot on the field with his arm strength, but also with the accuracy he had. He always put it in the basket, and I don't think there's a single quarterback in this draft that does that. But the reason I have Williams behind that group of guys, if you look at those guys, they have a very common theme, right? They're very much pocket quarterbacks that play in rhythm, can hit all the throws, but don't rely heavily on out-of-structure play. And I'm not saying Caleb does that to an extent where it's detrimental, but he definitely does a little bit, right? Like he does have this out-of-structure uh, part of his game that that um, that is important to him and shows why he's successful. I don't think the other guys really need that, right? They were more just rhythm players. Burrow being my number one ahead of a Trevor Lawrence, ahead of Caleb, he had ice in his veins, right? And we're seeing that in the NFL. He had the ability to win football games. He had an amazing team at LSU. But let me ask you, like the guys on my list, right? Burrow, Lawrence, Tua, and at least Stroud. I, I don't really remember Herbert, but those guys played very important games in college, right? They got their teams pretty deep. Does it bother you at all or make you a little bit nervous that Caleb wasn't able to get his team into the playoffs at all? It would if if he didn't have some of the worst defenses I've ever seen, the most dysfunctional defenses under Alex Grinch. Um, really, yes, that I have ever seen. I mean, they, I think it was the Washington Huskies that won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. And it was pretty much solely because of how they performed against that defense. Um, Caleb had to score pretty much every single drive to stay in a game. It doesn't matter if you were playing, uh, if you were playing Arizona or if you were playing Notre Dame or whoever, like regardless of opponent, he had to put up like 40 plus to win any game. So um, it doesn't bother me too much. Uh, I just try to, I, I put that all aside and just, just try to like mute everything out and just put some headphones on and watch what I see on tape here and leave it at that because it was a very dysfunctional unit at USC. Okay. So the, again, it's like that concern of mine where I look at a Kyler Murray, I look at a Baker Mayfield and they go to situations like that. Right. And they're very similar style quarterbacks and it, it, they weren't able to elevate those teams to an, to a place where they took them to the next level, took them to be these consistent playoff teams. The Browns made the horrible decision to get rid of Baker and uh, Arizona, you know, Kyler, I think was good enough to keep a bad coach as a head coach for too long. Right. And it, and it was to his detriment with Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I could see that being the situation for Caleb. Right. And that's a big concern I have, but let's, let's just agree to disagree on that and go to our number two, I have Drake May. I know there's a big debate right now going on between Daniels and May. I think age being a factor where uh, Drake May is still 21 years old. Uh, Jaden Daniels is now 23. Um, I think I value the pocket quarterback with the big arm more than I value the guy that his elite trait is his running ability. So I have Drake May as the number two in this class. And honestly, by like a a decent margin. Like I think May is clearly the number two. I think there's a very large gap between him and Caleb, but then I also think there's a decent gap between him and Daniels. I could very well understand a team having a different different opinion and valuing the elite running trait 
more and, and having a Daniels above it. And I think that's a, a reasonable take. And I wouldn't be super shocked or disappointed to see that. But for me, it's it's definitely Drake May um, being my number two in this class. And I think that there is this drop off. Like I said, CJ Stroud to me was top five in the era. Caleb Williams being six. I had Bryce Young as my seventh. Like I think that there is this drop off in this class between one and two where there are some drafts where there's a Joe Burrow and a Tua and a Herbert that I have a lot of confidence in all of those guys. And I see it on the tape and there's a draft like last year where there's Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, where again, I have full confidence in either of those players. I don't necessarily feel as strongly this year where I think Drake may is a can't miss prospect. I think there's enough of his game. That's concerning to me where I think he kind of falls like where I think when there is a Marvin Harrison Jr. that's there, that's this elite prospect, and maybe there's a couple offensive line prospects that are elite prospects. I could understand a team, like for example, the Giants, who have just paid a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who have all of these other needs, especially at receiver and tackle, saying, "I'm not going to sell my soul to go get May if I can get an elite prospect at a different position position that's highly valuable." So when there's when there's that conversation happening to me. I'd say May in in a draft, in a normal draft to me is a top eight prospect. I don't think he's a top two prospect. So I have him in that top eight pick range, even though it's very likely he's the number two overall pick. Yeah, it's it's the old quarterback bump. Um, even when we get to some of the lower rated guys in this, uh, or at least to us, the lower rated guys in this class at that position where on a big board, they're in the 50s, 60s, 70s, which you know, mid to late second, early third, they're going to end up going in the late first, high second, uh, likely at worst because of just the premium at that quarterback position, the premium value that it provides and, you know, just teams that need quarterbacks, you cannot wait on them, right? Some people have the philosophy that, hey, I'm not drafting any quarterback in the second round because if I don't think they're good enough to be a first rounder, I don't think they're good enough to be a franchise guy. I'm not going to take them in the second, right? Which... I can kind of understand that philosophy too. Um, but just in general, again, talking about that bump, uh, you see it there. Uh, and agree with you, I think the gap between one and two uh, is is large in this class between Caleb and May, and that's not a knock on May. Um, and like you said, there's also a decent gap between two and three. And I think the gap between one and two is greater than two and three, but it's still a clear teardrop even after Drake May uh to three and beyond as well. So for some additional context there, and I'm just going to let this run from the very top, even starting with Penix. Um, but from the very top there, right. Um, I mentioned that Caleb was my number one overall in the all 22 era. I have Drake may as my sixth overall in the, in the last four years since 2020. Um, so after those first four of Caleb, Trevor Burrow and Bryce young, I had Tua and then Drake may, um, followed by Herbert and Stroud. Herbert and Stroud are really close, and I could have flipped them either way. Um, but goes to show you that the gap between one and two in this class is the gap between one and six if you take some other recent classes into account. So it's it's pretty sizable there in that regard. So I, you know, I had Caleb Williams at six, so my jump between Caleb and May is going to be even bigger in the PFF or excuse me, the all 22 era where I had Burrow, Lawrence, Tua, Herbert, Stroud, Williams. And then after that, I liked Bryce Young a lot. I liked Zach Wilson. I liked the arm talent that he had. I thought it was special. 
Fortunately, he went to the Jets and his career was instantly ruined. Uh, same thing goes with my number nine guy, which is Justin Fields going to the Bears. And again, just kind of instantly ruined career. But I think that Field had a lot of promising traits, right? He was a big quarterback with with a strong arm. He can do all of the things you wanted to do. He just needed some refinement and he didn't go to a situation where he got that, right? 10 is Anthony Richardson for me, because again, I think you have this prospect that has every single trait to be successful and it just takes being in the right situation. And I actually think Richardson went to the right situation. Unfortunately, he got hurt this year, but I'm really excited about Richardson and what he can, what he can do if he stays healthy. So that was my top 10 and May is right after that at 11. Um, and again, that is still to me a very special prospect. I think all of those guys that I've talked about were special prospects. I think May is that that last one there where I still see enough in his game that worries me. And I think he can also end up going to a situation that's less than ideal if he goes to say the Patriots or the Giants, where it's just, again, it's not built out enough where he's going to have receivers. He's going to have an offensive line to step into and just be successful. So I worry about those things. Um, but to me, that 11 spot is really where the talent drop-off happens. I think May is on the, the positive side of that with Richardson, Fields, Wilson, and Young. After that is where the drop-off happens. Um, and that's going to take us to the number three, which to me, Jaden Daniels is the number three. I think that's basically chalk right now. I think there are some people saying he's number two, but to me, he's number three. Um there's too much in his game that's inconsistent. I think all of these other prospects outside of Caleb Williams, there's a lot of negative in their game, right? It's not just like missing a throw. It's like, oh, that that was basically an interception that got knocked down by the receiver. Or, or uh, oh, he stepped up into a sack where he had a clean pocket. There's a lot of that to these guys' films. Um, I think Jaden Daniels does rely on his legs a little too much, and I just value pocket throwers much more. Um, so for me... He's that top 15 in the draft player. I don't think he's a surefire top three pick by any means. I don't even really necessarily think that in, in a draft like Justin Fields went 10 or 11, right? Like I think in some drafts, guys of that caliber tend to go a little bit lower. Unfortunately, right now there are a lot of QB needy teams, so it will be likely that he gets drafted top five. But Daniels to me is more of a top 15 player. Um so yeah, with that, I think, you know, landing spot, I, I missed that on Drake May. Drake May's landing spot to me is, um, I really like him in Atlanta. And I said that last episode, I think, you know, he's the type of player that if you put him into that offense can really elevate things. And I don't think there would be a ton of pressure on him alone to just carry the load. Whereas now going with Jaden Daniels, the Lamar comp is obvious one. I think that's probably what you want to give to his legs, but there is this other comp with his arm where I think he does have... Uh, some issues with his throwing motion. I think he doesn't have the strongest arm. Tua doesn't have the strongest arm after that injury. So that's really where I go with his arm. Although I say Tua is a little more accurate. And then for a landing spot, I really like him in Oakland, or excuse me, in Vegas. Oakland, wow. <laughs> nice. Uh, I like him in Vegas. I like Daniels in Vegas because it is a situation where right now it's built to be successful. He has the tools where he can he can get the ball to Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, Michael Mayer, and, and really carry that team and be successful. But I also don't think that when Devontae Adams eventually leaves or retires, that it's a bad situation. The offensive line is good. And because of his scrambling ability and his ability to run, they can build that offense and restructure it around that type of game. And it can be a, a very positive situation for him. So I said a lot. Um, the only thing I didn't say is where I have him in the All-22 era, but let, let you go first and then we'll jump into that. Yeah, so... 
Going back to May, I like his fit, actually, and it seems very chalky. You mentioned a couple of chalk items there. I think this is the most chalk item. I like him in Washington for some of the things you mentioned with uh, with Caleb Williams because I think someone like Jahan Dotson, when you go back to his tape coming into the league, despite him being a pretty slight receiver and not having a huge frame, he was really good at tracking the ball coming down with some contested catches and making plays outside of we would think his catch radius is. And so for someone like May who likes to push the ball downfield but can be a bit hit and miss there, I think between someone like Dotson and McLaurin, you have some receivers who can excel at, at that catch point there and help you out as you grow. So I like the fit for May uh, in Washington. Uh, Jaden Daniels, um, a lot of times, and I know this is uh, – I don't always value, not value, um, but when I look at best fits, the criteria isn't always the same between players and organizations, right? Sometimes I really like the fit for a player based on the coaching staff and the system that's in place. Other times I really like it because of the personnel that's surrounding that player. In the case of of uh, Drake May, like I mentioned with, with Washington, I kind of like the personnel that would be on the other end of those passes there. When it comes to... Um, someone like uh, Jaden Daniels. I really like the Giants because of Brian Dayball and what he's been able to do with another sort of rough around the edges quarterback that could move um, that, you know, was that really liked to extend plays and kind of make things happen on his own carry team and Josh Allen back in the day. Um, I think that suits Brian Dayball. Well, if he goes into that landing spot, obviously the offensive line and the receivers have to be way better. But for someone that I view maybe as a bit of a longer term, uh, not project, but uh, sort of a longer developmental curve, I would like a system that suits his style of play uh, in order for him to develop. And I like that in New York, despite all the help they need everywhere else. I like the fit with Dable. Yeah, I, I understand the fit with the coach, but the offensive line is just so bad and there's no it's receivers bad. to throw to. So I, I worry about that not being the best situation. Maybe it'd be okay. Maybe he would make the most of it, but it definitely to me isn't the best situation. Um, and then just going into like where I have him ranked in the All-22 era. So I talked about May being 11, there being a drop-off after that. I think that's where Jalen Hurts is my 12, Will Levis is my 13th, Trey Lance is my 14th, and Jordan Love is my 15th because – Lance and Love in particular were these really intriguing prospects with massive, massive traits and also very, very young, right? And I think Daniels has a lot of good traits as well, but he's a little bit older, right? So to me, it was really difficult for me to say, yeah, I have him as a better prospect than those guys. So I actually have him at 16, which probably seems very low. But again, I'm talking about him being top 15 prospect, not a top 10 prospect. And to me, I think all of these guys had the opportunity to be top 15 picks. And again, I liked the age of those other prospects a little bit more. Yeah. I had Daniels basically pass on the screen here. Um, he's fun to watch. I know I have, that's, that's an aspect that you kind of have to just mute when you watch some of these guys, but I like the fact that he did carry his team. Going back to some of your points earlier when you asked me about Caleb Williams, he did carry this team that also had a very bad defense and a tough conference um, during his Heisman winning campaign this past year. So um, I could totally see a scenario where he does not have the success or near success that Jordan Love has uh, in the league when their careers unfold. But I just gave him the slight edge because I think he did a bit more in college in a tougher environment. 
Wow. Okay. Well, we just got a news update that the CFP approved the 12 team playoffs starting this fall. So very exciting. Mm -hmm. Love to see that. Love it. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll see the details, right? Because now like the, the PAC 12 just doesn't exist anymore. So I wonder what the auto qualifiers are. Um, but it would have been fun to see teams like LSU and, and, and Penn state and some others kind of in the, the top 10 and the back half of that also have an opportunity to, Know, play for a playoff. I mean, or play for a championship. I first time, but the world works in funny ways. I guess I don't know. Well, we're here. We're just happy to be here at this point. I think. <laughs> I think this is where the rankings get interesting, right? These last three guys. I have McCarthy at four, but I saw a lot of special abilities and a lot of special processing abilities that I think today's NFL covets. Now that we're seeing Brock Purdy and guys like that be just uber successful early on in their uh, NFL careers. So he's my He's my four, and my comp for him is Kenny Pickett, which I don't love, but I, I think it's because there's a little bit of that running ability that's underrated about both of them. I think they're both accurate um, processors and playmakers, but they don't have this massive arm. They don't have this um, you know, special trait that you get you know, extremely excited about like you do with Daniels, uh, but they're consistent, right? They're consistent and in the right situation with the right grooming. It's something you like. Different, a big differentiator between the two. Kenny Pickett was an older prospect. And again, McCarthy's going to be 21 at draft day. I think right now he might actually be 20. And it's not until draft day that he'll be 21. Um, and then for me, I see him as that early second round pick. I don't see him being a first round pick. I think he will be. But I think that he is more of a, let me take a risk on this guy in the second round and let me groom him for a couple of years before I have to implement him into my team. And my ideal situation for him Although Minnesota is very enticing, and I hear that a lot, I go New Orleans, right? I think New Orleans has the quarterback on the roster right now, and he's being paid. I think Derek Carr would be a great guy to learn behind as well. Um, I could see him being a good mentor for a guy like uh, like a, a, a J.J. McCarthy, right? He's a, he's a man of God, so he's not just going to leave you out to dry. Um, <laughs> that's that, that the criteria. That's what it takes. <laughs> and uh, he has some offensive weapons, right? Young weapons in Chris Olave. Uh, guys like that, that he can, he can build around and learn with. So I like that. Um, and then I have him in the all 22 era. I have him right behind Daniels at 17. Uh, and just for context, it's Trey Lance, Jordan Love, Jaden Daniels, JJ McCarthy, and then Mac Jones. So just to understand that range that I have him in, I have both of those guys over a Mac Jones, but also right after a Trey Lance and a Jordan Love. Yeah, I did not have J.J. McCarthy fourth. Should I talk about my fourth? I'll wrap up with J.J. McCarthy. I had him fifth uh, on my list of the top six in this class. Um, I actually wrote down Minnesota. You mentioned them. That was my best fit for him because I like a lot of the motion stuff that they do on offense when it comes to out leveraging uh, the defense and kind of uh, throwing a lot across the field and and getting the quarterback on the move and such. Uh, Kirk Cousins was really thriving there before uh, his injury as well, and we don't think that's too much of a long-term partnership here moving forward. So I wrote down Minnesota. Um, McCarthy has those traits. He's going to go higher. On a big board for me, he would be high 50s, low 60s maybe um, because you see some of the special throws there. But there's also a lot where when he was asked to put or, or basically shoulder more of the load, couldn't do it, right? I mean, the Maryland game was, was, was scary. Uh, if you watch the national championship game against – uh, Washington, they run the ball basically downhill at will. 
And then was it during the second quarter or such after they got up a couple scores, they tried to throw the ball and the offense stalled for multiple drives at a time before they went back to their bread and butter and running the football. I think um, we talk about wide receivers that have to develop a route tree when they come into the NFL, right? Depending on the system they come from in college. I feel like that's JJ McCarthy in that he's very comfortable with a lot of crossers and drags and even, you know, deep posts and such going to his right. But he's not when it comes to timing routes, whether it's the quick outs, uh, the comebacks and such, he does not have that same level of anticipation uh, or precision with those routes that he does elsewhere. And you're going to have to develop that full tree in the NFL. So the traits are definitely there. He's a very young prospect, but there's some scary things on tape there. And that's why I didn't have him uh, above my fourth, which was uh, Michael Penix trying to put the injuries aside for a second there. And some of the other concerns that I have there. So you could totally see the possibility of McCarthy having a great career and basically out, um, outperforming that ranking in this class, but there's some concerns there that I have. So um, I like the Minnesota fit for him. And then if I was just going to transition into Michael Penix, crazy as it sounds, the Las Vegas Raiders are where I like uh, for someone like him to end up because of how he pushes the ball down the field. Um, That's pretty much, I mentioned like the Raiders DNA back 20 years ago. That's what they loved it to do that vertical passing game. Right. But, even the Raiders of today, I think with someone like Devontae Adams and his releases and how he tracks the ball and how um, you know his ball skills outside, I think that's very good for someone like Penix who is going to push the defense even when it might not be um, the best decision to make. Um, you want someone like Devontae Adams there early on as he develops the other parts of his game and and basically see if he can round out those other deficiencies in the short and intermediate game, the timing and such uh, to develop into a long-term starter in the league health permitting of course because four season ending injuries two to the shoulder uh one to each knee i think or whatever it is 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 very scary um and you're basically one bad hit away from everything coming crashing down so it's a scary proposition but trying to put that aside i i liked what michael Penix brought enough to put him forth on my list as for the all 22 era i actually have a I do a little different from you. I had a cutoff after the top 15 and neither of the, um, the final, uh, or actually neither of the final three. Yes. On, on my top six for this class made that top 15. So I kind of had that cutoff there as like, am I comfortable drafting them as a franchise quarterback? I wasn't. So I kind of left them off after the top 15. Um, and that cutoff was comfortable. Probably wasn't the right word. Uh, because Trey Lance and Anthony Richardson were 14 and 15 for me. And I would, I, we talked about it before about not being comfortable drafting the, them as franchise guys, but I thought the upside was a bit higher with each of them, which is why they just made that top 15 cutoff. Okay. I feel like that's fair. And, and yeah, I like when I do my graphic and I share this with people, it is the top 15 and then that's it. Right. Like I don't, I don't go after that, but now that I have a couple of years and I have guys falling off the list, I know that there are guys after it. And so I can, continue to kind of rank after that. Um, but yeah, Michael Penix, you have him as your four. I actually have him sixth and it's not because I think that his game isn't as good as the other guys. And it really is just the injury stuff mixed with the age. It's a 24 year old prospect in a, like a few days after the draft or a month after the draft with major injury concerns. 
Um, but but leadership ability that's just through the roof. And I think teams are going to really covet that. So I have him right after a guy like Desmond Ritter on my rankings, just kind of like going into like Oof, after. Era. Oh. right after. I, I mean, I liked Ritter. I, I really did. I was a big fan of his. I liked his um his rushing ability. I liked him as this fill-in quarterback, which is what he's kind of been, right? Like, And I think that's where you kind of, you know, we've only been doing this for five years now. It's like, there's only going to be 15, 16 legitimate starters. Then it's kind of like there's guys that are going to get opportunities, but I don't know if they're actually going to make it. And I didn't think Ritter would really make it. Um, and I unfortunately don't really think Penix is going to be a long-term starter either because of the injuries. Right. And I think that um, I have him as this mid second round pick. Cause I do think there will be a team that falls in love with his intangibles and gives him that opportunity. But the junk balls downfield are definitely concerning to me. Um, things like that. Deshaun Watson is my comp and my ideal landing spot is Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh because uh, the coach combo with him, I think there'd be a lot of that, like, again, leadership, uh, just positive vibes in the locker room. And then on top of that, it's you have George Pickens. If you were to have one receiver to throw junk ball to in today's NFL, I don't think there's a better receiver to do that with than George Pickens. So I, so I like Pittsburgh for Michael Penix. Um, and that I, that I guess just leaves Bo Nix. So Nix was my five. Where did you have Nix? Nix was my six, so I had um, Penix at four, McCarthy at five, Nix at six, and it's just again I I didn't see at all him letting things develop from within structure, which is an absolute necessity in the NFL. So that's something we're going to have to see from his game, and it makes me uncomfortable that a sixth-year player in college did not put that on tape. I can agree with that, and and I have him at five again, just above Penix because. The injury stuff isn't as concerning. Um, I like him in Denver. I think that there's a chance that Denver could get him early second round, or maybe they would trade back into the first round to get a guy like Knicks. And they don't have to use their first round pick on him, right? They can they can get another player at, a, at an important position and help booster that team because that's a team now that has a lot of holes after trading three first round picks for a coach and a quarterback that's no longer going to be on the roster. So you bring Bo Nix in, and I think that the offensive line is in a stable position. You have some receiving weapons, although I'm not sure all of them will remain on the team. But it is, you know, it is promising, and I would say Denver. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not a bad pick at all. Um, the one concern I have is they're going to probably take so long to uh, actually turn that thing around, given some of the dead cap space that's going to be they're going to be dealing with uh, after Russell Wilson, like 80 something million over two years. I think it's something ridiculous that Bonix might be in his thirties by the time they, they actually turn that ship around. Um, uh, but yeah, I actually, because of, and maybe it's because of the bias that I put into the optimal outcomes there. I didn't uh, have a great sort of uh, ideal landing spot for, um, Bo Nix when it came to team, right? I just thought that given how quick he does make decisions and how he does kind of have a good command pre-snap, give him a Shanahan tree quarter, uh, Shanahan tree coordinator and see what he can do from there uh, because he does have quick decision uh, making abilities there and he can create some when, when things break down and given the, the movement that they have and how they out leverage the defense that kind of plays into what Bo Nix does well. So I didn't have like a team per se as a top, uh, as a top landing spot, just 
get him under a, a Shanahan, which might be a cop out because I feel like you'd say that about most quarterbacks, right? You go with a Shanahan type of, of offense there. You see how well it's, it's doing in Houston and other places as well. Um, so maybe a bit of a cop out, but it's more so that that sort of scheme, wherever the team ends up being. Okay. Well guys, we made it, we made it through. I want to hear your feedback hit the comments hard. We want to hear what you have to say. Agree or disagree, right? It's all good stuff. Um, thank you it's for tuning in. Stuff. Some, some of it's terrible, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast and have a great day. I'm a ghost, ghost.